to preach through this wonderful book of Romans. You know, besides the book of Romans, which is my favorite book in the Bible, my second favorite book is the book of Psalms. I love the book of Psalms, and my favorite Psalm is 139. And I love what the first four verses of Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up and discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. In the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> chapter 4 and verse 13, the writer says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. As we continue to preach through Romans, we find the Apostle Paul has spent chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2 trying to make sure that we know where we stand. That we are guilty before a holy God of sin. We are sinners. There is, uh, as we will find, Paul will say in Romans chapter 7, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. There is nothing good about us. There is nothing that would commend us to God. There is nothing that would merit our uh, standing in the presence of a holy God, Paul says. He talked about those who, in chapter 1, who have said that they know who God is, but they refuse to acknowledge Him as God. They refuse to honor Him as God. And as a result, we see the world in which we live in today. Paul goes on to talk about women with women and men with men doing that which was, is not natural, which is against nature. He talks about those who not only engage in these particular sins, but they uh, invite others to join in, knowing that the end is death, that the righteous end is death. They know this, Paul says. And, in, and as we talked about uh, last week, <clears throat> Paul is talking to these who are unregenerate. They don't care about God. They don't know God. And so they go about doing what they want to do. And over here you have this group, these religious people who are applauding Paul and say, yeah, Paul, you go, you get them. And in chapter 2, Paul says, okay, now I'm going to talk to you. He said, because you're being hypocritical, because you who uh, speak out against these and judge these who are doing these, he says, you're doing the same things. He says, you have no room to talk. You know, when Jesus spoke to the religious leaders and, and, and he said to them, you shall not murder. And they said, we've never murdered anybody. We're, we have kept the law. And Jesus said, but if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're guilty of murder. They said, we've never committed adultery. We've never been with a woman. We've been faithful to our wife. And Jesus said, but if you've looked at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you're guilty. So Paul here, his whole thing here in chapters 1 and 2 is to bring us to the place to where we understand we are guilty. We are sinful. There is one reason why unregenerate people express, uh, repress their knowledge of God as Paul talks about in Romans 18, well, 1, 18 through 20. 
If God knows all things, and by the way, He does. If God knows all things, He knows us not as I wish to portray myself, but as I really am. Let me ask you a question. Do I know you as you really are? Do you think you know me as I really am? I can tell you you don't. Did you know that your wife, your husband, they don't even know you as you really are? We all keep secrets. We all have something deep inside of us. But Paul says here, and this is one of the things that he says that the psalmist says in the first four verses of Psalm 139. God knows me. He knows everything. He knows what I'm going to say before I say it. He knows my thoughts before I even think them. There's no escaping. If you go on and read that psalm, he says, where can I go? He says, if I go here, God, you're there. If I go there, God, you're there. There's no way to escape. And in Romans chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul says, On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now, if you take verses 12 through 16, verses 13, 14, and 15 are kind of parenthetical. So you could take verse 12, which says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law and go right to verse 16 on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus in this verse this morning Paul tells us that the day will come when Jesus Christ will judge the thoughts and the secrets of men's hearts if that don't scare you I'm not preaching it right <laughs> Because it did me when I studied it. Listen, to, to fully understand what's going on here, we got to go all the way back. All the way back to the garden. To, to, to the very uh, first days of human history. Back to the days when Adam and Eve stood before God uh, shortly after they had sinned by eating the forbidden fruit. You know, before... <clears throat> Before they sinned, before the, the Adam and Eve ate the fruit, disobeyed God, and fell into sin. There's a very short little verse that means a lot more than what we think it does, found in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25. This is before the fall, before they fell. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. Why were they not ashamed? Nakedness has to do with exposure. Nakedness has to do not only with external exposure, but with, uh, more importantly, with internal exposure. They were not ashamed before the fall because they had nothing to be ashamed about. They had nothing to be ashamed of before the fall. They were unashamed before God. They would, they would converse with God. They would fellowship with God. They would walk with God. And they were both naked and nobody cared. It, there was nothing to be ashamed. There was nothing. Everything was exposed and they did not care. <clears throat> they were without sin at that time and their relationship with God was one of utter and complete openness. 
They conversed with God freely. Sin causes us to hide from God. Is that not what Adam and Eve taught us? They taught us that sin causes us to hide from God. They were not only unashamed before God, they were unashamed before each other. Again, they had nothing to be ashamed of. They had not lied to one another. They had not accused one another. That's what they're going to do later. You realize that after the fall, God comes and He confronts them, and Adam says, that woman you gave me. <laughs> he wasn't blaming Eve. He was blaming God. Now, you talk about the, de the depths that sin will take you in an instant. One minute, God is everything to Adam. The next minute, Adam's accusing God of causing him to sin. But none of this is going on. He, uh, Eve has not said, that serpent, he caused me to. You see, they all passed the buck. We still do that today, by the way. You know, I get caught in a sin and I say, well, you know, if so-and-so hadn't said this, I wouldn't have done that. Or if so-and-so hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have said that. We all try to pass the buck just like they did. But at this point in time, they are completely unashamed of their nakedness. There's no lying. There's no accusing. They could be completely themselves with each other. We can't do that today. You know, I, I heard a preacher say this one time, and I've always loved it, so I'm going to say it. If I knew you like you know yourself... I wouldn't even stand up here and preach to you. If you knew me like I know myself, you wouldn't want me to stand up here and preach to you. You see, we don't know each other, and we ought to be glad of that. But there's one who does know. Because I want to tell you, if I know things about people, I have a tendency to make judgments that are biased. Judgments that are not righteous. But God doesn't do that. God knows the whole story. He knows everything. And Adam and Eve, here, they were unashamed in their own eyes. They were unashamed of, uh, of uh, in the presence of God. They were unashamed before each other, and they were unashamed in their own eyes. Adam and Eve could look at themselves and know they had nothing to hide. Most of us refuse to take a glance at who we really are. You know, we talked last week, we, we went to the book of James, where James says that, that we're like the natural man who looks into the mirror and goes away and immediately forgets what he was like. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones one time said that any man or woman who sits down with a piece of paper and a pencil and an open Bible is bound to figure out what's wrong with him real quick. And what's wrong with this is we have sinned. And we cannot be, we cannot uh, look at who we really are. We fill our minds with stimulation all day long, watching television, tele, uh, getting on our telephones, playing games, looking at Facebook, doing all that. Now, I do all these things too, so don't think I'm pointing the finger at you. But this is what we do because it keeps us from seeing, from confronting who we are. It keeps our minds occupied. Because we don't want to consider that we are naked before God and nothing is hidden from Him. Nothing is hidden from God. And so when Paul says there uh, in, in chapter 6, he says, uh, chapter 2, if I can get back to my book here. On that day... Now, you know, the, the, the way Paul puts that, on that day, means that day is coming. That day will arrive. And he says, on that day, according to the gospel, 
When Paul says my gospel, he's just simply talking about the gospel. According to the gospel, Jesus, uh, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. What we are today and what we do today is nothing but a continuation of the story in the book of Genesis. Because you see, God told Adam, he said, you can have anything here you want. Adam, it's all yours except that one tree. The day you eat that tree or eat from that tree, you will surely die. The serpent comes to Eve. And by the way, don't mistake that there's a reason the serpent went to Eve and not to Adam. That's a whole other story, a whole other sermon. But don't miss that part. And the serpent says to her, did God really say? He cast doubt upon God's word. You won't die. He called God a liar. God knows the day you eat of that fruit, you will become like God. He, that lie still works today, by the way. Do you know that? It still works. This is what happened. So we all know what happened. They partook of the fruit. Eve did, and then she gave to her husband. And so when God came into the garden, as he did every day, they ran and they hid. Now, I find <clears throat> God says, Adam, where are you? Now, do you think God knew where Adam was? He said to Eve, what have you done? Do you think Eve knew what she had done? So why ask these questions? For the very reason that Paul is writing the first and second chapters of Romans. God wanted to know, Adam, do you know where you are? Eve, do you know what you've done? Let me ask you this morning, folks, after reading what Paul has said here in chapter 1 and 2 of the book of Romans, do you know where you are? Do you know what you've done? Because you see, this we must know. We must know the depravity of our sin, the, the total depravity of who we are. We must understand that we are totally distanced from God because of our sin. And until we know that, we can't get to God. In, in Sunday school, we've been talking about worship. And with this morning and last week, we were in Isaiah chapter 6, one of the great chapters of the Bible, where Isaiah is standing before the Lord, and he sees the throne. He sees the cherubim with the six wings flying around, crying, Holy, 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 Holy. And here is Isaiah, and, and, and this beautiful picture, this beautiful uh, this scene before him of the throne room of God. And Isaiah says, oh, let me tell you how beautiful it is here. Let me tell you what a wonderful sight this is. That's not what he says, by the way. Isaiah sees all of this in the presence of God, and he falls on his face and says, oh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. So when God comes into the garden, Adam and Eve, they run and hide. And they clothed themselves with fig leaves. 
You know, I heard one time that we often refer to prostitution as the oldest profession in the world, but it's not. The clothing industry is. That one was free. Listen, they first, do you realize that before they hid from God, they hid from each other by covering themselves with fig leaves. This is a man and a wife who have never been ashamed of the fact that they are naked. Now, all of a sudden, they begin to cover themselves with fig leaves. The very first effect of sin was the opening of the eyes of Adam and Eve to perceive that they were naked. You remember what God, God says, what's with the fig leaves? And Adam says, well, we were naked. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? Now, when I thought about that this week, preparing this sermon, that, that, that struck me. Who told you you were naked? And it's like they, 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 they were completely naked, but they were completely unashamed. They didn't know they were naked. Do you, do you understand what he's saying here? Who told you you were naked? So the very first effect was the opening of their eyes. The fig leaves made hidden the nakedness from Adam and Eve, but it didn't hide it from God. Folks, listen to me. We stand naked before the one who knows everything. But we're all wearing our fig leaves. But it won't do any good. He can still see. We may hide it from each other, but we cannot hide it from God. The fig leaves hide nothing from God, so it will be in the judgment. We commit our sins in secret. We present a false face to the public. Have you ever thought what it would be like? Think about this right now. Right where you are. What if we had a big screen up here and every secret in your life was presented for all of us to see? I'd be running out the door. But see, we have to admit to that. That we have those secrets, but God knows those secrets. And you know, we need to understand that, that a secret sin here on earth is an open scandal in heaven. Did you know that? It's not hidden from anybody there. And this is the point that Paul is making here. God told Adam and Eve that the punishment for their sin would be death. Death. Now, this is interesting because probably Adam and Eve, they had no idea what that meant. They'd never experienced death before. And when God said that the penalty is death... They didn't know what that meant. Paul tells us later that the wages of sin is death. But, there's that word. You know, that is one of the greatest words in the Bible. Anywhere you see the word but, that usually means something good's fixing to come. For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? You see, God told Adam and Eve that the punishment for their sin would be death. But when he confronted them in their sin and exposed it, they weren't dead. 
Now, we need to understand something here. Spiritually, Adam died the moment, the moment he sinned. Physically, Adam lived to be 900-something years old. Why didn't he die physically? Because we all know that physical death is part of our sinful nature. That's what causes it. The decaying of our bodies is caused by sin. But you see, God... Uh, when he confronted them in their sin and he exposed it, you know what he did next? It says he clothed them with animal skins. Where do you get the animal skins? Something had to die. So because of Adam's sin, someone else had to die. Because of Adam's nakedness, Someone else had to clothe him. Y'all see where this is going? Don't miss what Paul's talking about here. In Genesis 3.21, it was with the skin of the substitute that they were clothed. And clearly, this incident is meant to point us to Jesus Christ, who is the only atonement for sin. Paul here is saying to these here in chapter 2, to these religious people, to those who were, who were self-righteous, who were thinking we're good people. We go to church every Sunday. We read our Bibles. We pray. We give our tithe. Paul said, good for you. You can do all that and go straight to hell. He said, because if that's what you're counting on, instead of counting on the, the, the righteousness of another. You know, when God killed that animal, I wonder what kind of an animal it was. You ever thought that? You think maybe it might have been a lamb? Might have been a lamb. But God killed an animal in order to have the skins with which to clothe Adam and Eve. They were exposed as sinners. All their secrets had been revealed. And although their sin was exposed, they were also covered. But who covered them? God did. You see, Paul says here in Romans 2.16, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We cannot escape this. We cannot escape our guilt. We cannot escape our shame except in one place. We can try to deny it, but everything in our lives will refute that denial. But the gospel tells us that God deals with our guilt just as he did with Adam and Eve. You see, the gospel has been preached from the very beginning. From the very beginning. But we will never know. We will never know our need of a gospel until we know where we are and what we've done. Where we are without Christ is separated from God, bound for an eternity in hell. Without Christ, what we have done is we have sinned against the Holy of Holies. We are guilty of high treason against the King of the universe. And he has pronounced the death sentence. God deals with this and he deals with it in only one way. And he deals with it in Jesus Christ.
Christ died for our sin. The penalty of sin has been paid. And now God clothes us. All those who will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? You know, Paul, one of his favorite phrases throughout his letters in, in one various form or another is through him, in him, in Christ, through Christ, in Christ. I love that because you know what it says that when I am in Christ, when God sees me, do you know who he sees? He sees Christ. And on that day when all my secrets are revealed, they'll all be covered. Because Christ covers them. He doesn't have any secrets. He doesn't have any faults. Christ died for our sin. The penalty has been paid. And whoever you are, the day is coming when you will stand before the judgment bar of God. And God will judge even the deepest secrets of your heart. How will you manage in that day? We can appear before the judgment of God in only one of two ways. Either we will stand before Him in the righteousness of Christ with our sin atoned for by His death, burial, and resurrection, or we will stand there in our own moral nakedness. How will you stand there? If Jesus Christ were to come today, If you were to stand before him today, would you run? Would you fall on your face and beg for mercy? By the way, on that day when you stand before Christ and you fall on your knees and beg for mercy, it will be too late. It won't do you any good. It must be done before then. The Bible speaks of those people who will be like that in the book of Revelation. In chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. It says, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us. Hide us from the face of the one who, sits, who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? Don't wait until the day when God will judge and expose all of our sin. Listen, here's what Paul is doing in Romans. He's saying, I have good news. That's what the word gospel means, good news. It's the best news. It's the greatest of news. But you won't know it's good news if you don't know the bad news. In other words, Paul comes and says, look, I got bad news and I got good news. Which one do you want to hear first? And he says, okay, you're going to hear the bad news first. Because the good news won't make any sense to you. Listen, folks. If we don't understand the sin, if you don't understand the, 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 the total depravity of your sin, the cross makes no sense to you at all. You understand that? 
If we don't understand how vile and wretched and wicked we are, the cross of Christ will mean nothing to us. That's why people today, I was watching a show on TV the other day, and this lady was talking about, they were asking various people on the, on the street, you know, well, you know, what do you think about this, 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 about religious things, Christianity things? And, and they would ask, well, what do you think about the cross of Christ? Oh, that was such a tragedy. That one who loved so much that they would treat him that way. Oh, what a terrible tragedy the cross. Can I tell you something? The cross was not a tragedy. The cross is one of the greatest things that's ever happened in the history of the world. Because without it, we'd all be dead in our sins on our way to hell. All of us. So Paul is saying, look, we must know where we are and what we've done so that we will recognize what God has done and what he offers us. But it is only in Jesus Christ that God offers us eternal life. When we are dead, you see, when Adam sinned, he died. And Paul will tell us later, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive. Paul is pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to the cross. He's pointing to the resurrection. He's pointing to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. This is what Paul's doing. He's, he's going to go on and tell us in, in, in chapters 2 and 3, he's going to say, look, you think you're religious? You think you go to church? You think you've done this? You think you do that? He said, so what? Where do you stand in relation to Christ? The Bible calls uh, Satan the accuser of the brethren. I give him plenty of work. You do too, by the way. But you know, it's a wonderful thing to know, and I know this, that when Satan points and says, God, did you see what Bobby Baker just said? Did you see what he did? Did you see what he just thought? And Jesus says, Father, it's all taken care of. It's all taken care of. He trusts me. He, has been, he stands in my righteousness, not his own. We need to run to Christ today for his righteousness. This is where Paul's pushing us. He's pushing, he, he's pushing through chapters 1 and 2 and 3, and he's pushing aside. He's saying, get rid of this, get rid of that, get rid of all these things that you think are going to commend you to God. And he's kind of come to the place where he's going to stand before Christ and say, there's the righteousness you need. Those are the only works God will accept are the works of his son. Jesus Christ. Where are you this morning? What have you done? If you were to stand before this judge today, would you stand there with all your secrets exposed in your own righteousness, or would you stand there with your secrets covered by the righteousness and the precious blood of Christ? Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you this morning. That though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Father, that you have provided a way in Christ. That you have given us eternal life to those who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ.
to those who will lay aside their own righteousness and just trust in His righteousness and the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Father, we thank You today that Jesus has risen from the dead, that He lives and ever intercedes for His people. So, Father, help us this morning. Help us to recognize our sinfulness. Father, that we may recognize His righteousness. That we may bow before Him, repent of our sin, and turn to Him and believe. And we thank You, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.